Welcome to the JACCP podcast. My name is Jerry Bauman, and I'm the editor of the Journal of the American College of Clinical Pharmacy. Today we're talking with Drs. Andrew Frank, uh, who I think goes by AJ, and his colleague Laith Kufa about the paper that they published in the February issue of JACCP entitled The Impact of Pharmacy Cardiology Collaborative Management Program During Initiation of Antiarrhythmic Drugs. Drs. Frank and Kufa are clinical pharmacists at the North Florida, South Georgia Veterans Health System. Uh, AJ and Laith, uh, welcome to the podcast. Uh, thank you for having us. Yeah, thank you so much. It's great to be here. So, Laith, I was uh, personally and particularly interested in your paper because I, I practiced in the area of antiarrhythmic uh, drugs for many years, and my colleagues and I began a multidisciplinary amiodarone clinic that incorporated clinical pharmacists, and I think it still exists today. So could you explain for the listeners the rationale and the background for establishing this antiarrhythmic drug management program at your practice site? And also, if you could further explain how the program works. Uh, Absolutely. Uh, Sure. Well, um, AJ and I both saw that there was a lot of confusion regarding the use of antiarrhythmic therapy at our institution. And as you uh, very well may know, and your listeners may know as well, that antiarrhythmic drugs are high-risk medications. In our system, there were many documented adverse drug reactions and hospital readmissions that were attributed to antiarrhythmic drug therapy. And even when these drugs were being appropriately uh, monitored, we noted that it was taking up some of the time of our specialists, our cardiologists and electrophysiologists. And so we kind of thought that, well, this is a great opportunity for drug experts, you know, to free up some time from these specialists who were solely using their time to monitor antiarrhythmic drug therapy, and we can maybe get free them up to take care of more critical patients. So uh, we independently came to the same conclusion that you did, basically, Jerry, uh, with the amiodarone clinic, uh, we were disheartened to find our patients without guideline-recommended baseline testing and no plan for continued monitoring or follow-up. And this was further concerning, given the advent of relatively newer antiarrhythmic therapy with potentially lethal side effects such as dofetilide and sotalol. And so AJ was really uh, kind of started it off. He did a medication use evaluation with dofetilide and the RIMS criteria at the time there was still a RIMS criteria with dofetilide that was, you know, put forth by the FDA. It was later removed, I believe, in 2016. Um, but the FDA still recommends to continue with this monitoring. And so AJ found that, you know, there was a need for a clinic. And we first started with a dofetilide clinic, which at, at the time was a novel idea and was not previously reported on in the literature. Um, so after this novel clinic was started, it was kind of the precursor to the clinic that we published on in this journal. So the in, initial dofetilide monitoring clinic kind of expanded into other antiarrhythmic therapies, sotalol, amiodarone, dronidarone, just to name a few. And we wanted to focus on the inpatient part of it because the previous clinic was more of an outpatient monitoring clinic. And this was to help really shepherd our patients onto antiarrhythmic drug therapy and ensure a smooth transition um, from the inpatient to the outpatient side, help help them get a really strong footing before they started these therapies. Great, thank you. So, AJ, uh, you noted in the paper that, and I'm, I'll quote here, uh, pharmacists practiced under a scope of practice 
that included prescribing authority, uh, end of quote. Could you provide us, uh, the listeners, with more detail regarding this agreement? And I think they'd be interested in, in how this expanded scope of practice was achieved at your practice site. Uh, yes, of course. Um, this is something that, speaking for both Lath and myself, that we really love about uh, our jobs and working with the VA. Um, we're fortunate because the VA system um, has a really strong credentialing and scoping system in place for pharmacists. And it allows us to focus, you know, on collaborative management, uh, grants us a good amount of autonomy, uh, including prescribing privileges, as you said. Uh, For anyone who's not really familiar with the VA system, uh, there's uh, national system-wide policies and guidance for pharmacist scoping and pharmacist prescribing. Uh, Pharmacists can be classified in our system as advanced practice providers, you know, similar to nurse practitioners and PAs. That means, of course, that um, we have to demonstrate adequate training, qualifications, and skills to apply for those privileges. Um, And they can be tailored to the practice setting, uh, but they generally allow for medication prescribing, ordering of labs, other tests, um, consults, And we have a supervising physician that kind of helps determine what goes into each scope. And they're the ones that'll sign off on it. Um, After we've kind of come to an agreement with our supervising physician, it needs to be approved by the chief of pharmacy, the hospital chief of staff, and ultimately the director of the health system. Um, Once we're scoped, we undergo a credentialing process and then something that's called uh, an ongoing professional practice evaluation, which is kind of like a routine peer review system. Um, that's the same system essentially that the physicians use. Um, and that demonstrates that we're using our scope and prescribing privileges appropriately. But yes, I mean, having a scope is very nice. Uh, we think that it was really important to the system the success of the program that we described in this study. And just to add, if I could, I think that um, I agree with AJ. I mean, this was one of the things that drew me to practice within the VA. And I can say that it really has given us a lot of clinical autonomy. And uh, the majority of our activities, I think AJ would agree with me throughout the day, are kind of removed from the operational side of pharmacy and are really more focused on the direct patient care and managing all facets of the patient's disease or condition, uh, either independently or collaboratively. Well, I think that's awesome, and uh, you guys should be congratulated on it. Uh, I imagine that the the cardiologists and the electrophysiologists probably um, embrace this type of practice. Uh, yes, absolutely. I think they were our biggest champion, and at kind of... Whenever you're starting any new program or service, um, there's always going to be a little bit of healthy skepticism, and you know that's probably good. But once we got this thing rolling, the cardiology service just loved it. And that's something we're really proud of. It's great. So, Laith, uh, could you recount the major for the listeners? Recount the major findings and implications of your study. Sure. We found that. 
the service had a positive impact on monitoring of antiarrhythmic drug therapy, uh, specifically with amiodarone, dofetilide, and sotalol in our institution. We almost saw a 20% improvement in getting the complete uh, recommended baseline monitoring parameters. Uh, Previous studies involving pharmacists monitoring of antiarrhythmic drug therapy mostly focused on the chronic management or the outpatient side. We think uh, monitoring during initiation is also important. Uh, the study, you know, shows another way that pharmacists can be involved in direct patient care and improve the quality of care uh, for these high-risk drugs. And furthermore, uh, you know, we identified a greater number of clinical interventions when our services were added to the institution, uh, things like stopping interacting medications, adjusting doses, and initiation of electrolyte supplements, uh, just to name some. So, AJ, you mentioned today, uh, or perhaps Laith did, uh, but it's also in your paper that there was a transition of care between the inpatient and the outpatient setting. So first, uh, my question is, how, how is this coordinated? And in addition, as you described in the paper, the usual care control group had clinical pharmacy coverage, but was inferior in the measures studied to when a pharmacist was added to the arrhythmia consult service. That's the way I understand it. Secondly, do you have an explanation for that finding? Yeah. So let me uh, talk about the coordination of the service first. Um, We primarily use the electronic health record to um, help ensure continuity, you know, between the uh, acute setting and the outpatient clinic. There was basically two ways that we could do this. We had a uh, formal consult built into the system that we could place and then somebody else, you know, working in the outpatient setting could answer that consult and do the scheduling. But also since we were a relatively small group, we could just do a simple scheduling alert in the chart. That cut down a little bit on some of the administrative side of uh, the coordination. As far as your question about uh, the usual care group, we think there might actually be a few explanations for that finding. You know, as you said, the control group also had a clinical pharmacist um, on the team. These were primarily uh, internal medicine teams. And those pharmacists, they had a lot of other clinical responsibilities. So they were doing you know, all the pharmacokinetic consultation for those patients, medication reconciliation, drug order verification, um, disease state management, prescribing things under their scope for um, other acute internal medicine issues. So they really had a lot of stuff on their plate. So it's possible that could have just been kind of a workload issue. We think, too, that it might just reflect the nature of having a uh, pharmacist more trained in a subspecialty, you know, in this case, cardiology, we really think that having highly trained pharmacists is incredibly valuable. That could easily be an explanation for our findings. Yeah, I agree. I think it probably speaks to the need um, to have a true specialist in an area to make an impact. And, uh, and a deep, you know, understanding and, and knowledge base of the drugs used. So another question I have is that, as I understood it from the paper, the patients that were included in the study for both the study group and the control group 
during three-month periods, uh, respectively. But of course, most of the serious side effects of amiodarone occur during chronic long-term use. And for an important clinical service, such as you've described it, it's important to sustain it over time. So are both the antiarrhythmic management program and the analysis uh, continuing? Uh, yes. So, yeah, you're absolutely correct. And you make some really good points there. And you touched on some of the limitations of our study. Uh, as you said, both the study group and the control group in our study included patients over three-month periods. And we were only assessing monitoring during the initiation of the drugs. And so while we are able to show um, an improvement in monitoring in this setting, we don't have data on things like long-term adverse effects of amiodarone or the sustainability of the program over time. And uh, it's a really good point about sustainability. When Leith and I first got involved with the program, it was 100% uh, pharmacy owned, meaning just that we were responsible for the day in day out management of the service. You know, obviously that's a lot of administrative work. And as the program started to grow, uh, we transitioned the ownership over to the cardiology department. So the structure and the operations have changed in the program. You know, one of one example of that is that the system is our our health system is getting more involved with um, population management tools for chronic AAD monitoring. Um, that's kind of based off the success that we've had with chronic management of anticoagulation, specifically the DOACs. But we, we are continuing to evaluate. The things that we really want to look at now are how does a program like this with a pharmacist monitoring uh, antiarrhythmic drugs prevent serious outcomes like life-threatening arrhythmias, uh, hospital length of stay, hospital readmissions, serious non-cardiac toxicities like in the case of amiodarone. You know, what are the economic impacts of these services? And how are these population-based management tools going to compare with direct management from the pharmacist? So we're going to keep evaluating. Hopefully, we'll have uh, answers to these questions soon. That's great. I, I uh, really encourage you to do that, and it, I wish you luck in, in those endeavors because I think the data, the follow-up data, will be very important and uh, invaluable. So I think the last question I have is, in either of you, uh, Laith or uh, AJ, do you have any advice for others that uh, would consider replicating this service at their own institution? Yeah, th uh, thanks for the question. I, th I think I'll, I'll start off, and if AJ can add anything, that'd be great. But uh, I, I think one of the major things that we thought was important, and, and AJ kind of touched on this, was really to get the buy-in from your, your cardiologist and your specialist. I mean, they were very supportive of the clinic. And uh, I think you mentioned, Jerry, they were, and so did AJ, they were kind of thrilled once it was in progress because it really made their time more efficient and opened up, uh, you know, their time to, to maybe looking at more critical things. So get buy-in from them. Absolutely. I think it's very important. Uh, and, and really also from pharmacy leadership, I think that would be important too, is to have 
uh, have them assist you with, with certain things because, you know, as we started off, it was kind of a, a very small group, but, you know, we did need administrative support with scheduling and so forth. So I think, you know, that can come when you really get buy-in from your stakeholders. You know, one thing that may be becoming more popular, but it is also challenging for pharmacists, I think, because we're so clinically oriented, but is, you know, getting a business plan together, really looking at the economic side of how we can, you know, the benefits to such services. I mean, unfortunately, at the end of the day, sometimes we do have to look at, at the price tag of how, you know, we're spending our time. But I think as life expectancy increases and the incidence of arrhythmia increases as well in this aging population, these services are going to be in, in high demand. But once your stakeholders are on board and you really have, you know, support, you can start spreading the message. And so we did that with our consult that we created through the electronic uh, record. You know, that was helpful. But just talking to hospitalists and other providers that are going to be involved on the team, you know, in the inpatient monitoring side. But once it does take hold, you know, it, it really is off to the races. And I think it was, um, you know, surprising to us how, how well it caught on. And then, you know, continuously improving our, uh, you know, your methods and your services. We always were trying to collect data and, and try to improve on the process. And it was a little bit of a trial and error at first, which I think is with any new program. To end, I guess pharmacists can really make a great impact at their institutions. And this is a relatively straightforward and kind of easy service to implement. Uh, so we think it, it'll have great benefit. Lathe really hit the nail on the head there, but... The only thing that I would have to add is, you know, just in in our experience, getting, you know, your local data through something like a MUE to see what the needs are. In our case, we saw that our monitoring was not good. And so if you can demonstrate a need in, in hard data, and then after you implement the service, follow that up with data to show the improvement, it's going to be an easier sell to the, you know, to the stakeholders. And in our experience, that was very important too. Well, great. And um, I would congratulate you on, on your service and the success of it. And also thank you for sending your results of the analysis to JACCP. Thanks. It was our pleasure. Yeah, thank you.